Thank you, David Dell. We have a video here we're going to show about the three circles. We live in a broken world, surrounded by broken lives, broken relationships, and broken systems. This brokenness is seen in suffering, violence, poverty, pain, and death around us. Brokenness leads us to search for a way to make life work. In contrast to this brokenness, we also see beauty, purpose, and evidence of design around us. The Bible tells us that God originally planned a world that worked perfectly, where everything and everyone fit together in harmony. God made each of us with a purpose, to worship Him and walk with Him. Life doesn't work when we ignore God and His original design for our lives. We selfishly insist on doing things our own way. The Bible calls this sin. We all sin and distort the original design. The consequence of our sin is separation from God in this life and for all of eternity. Sin leads to a place of brokenness. We see this all around us and in our own lives as well. When we realize life is not working, we begin to look for a way out. We tend to go in many directions, trying different things to figure it out on our own. Brokenness leads to a place of realizing a need for something greater. At this point, we need a remedy, some good news. Because of his love, God did not leave us in our brokenness. Jesus, God in human flesh, came to us and lived perfectly according to God's design. Jesus came to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took our sin and shame to the cross, paying the penalty of our sin by his death. Jesus was then raised from the dead to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to a relationship with God. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Simply hearing this good news is not enough. We must admit our sinful brokenness and stop trusting in ourselves. We don't have the power to escape this brokenness on our own. We need to be rescued. We must ask God to forgive us, turning from sin to trust only in Jesus. This is what it means to repent and believe. Believing, we receive new life through Jesus and God turns our lives in a new direction. When God restores our relationship to him, we begin to discover meaning and purpose in a broken world. Now we can pursue God's design in all areas of our lives. Even when we fail, we understand God's pathway to be restored, the same good news of Jesus. God's spirit empowers us to recover his design and assures us of his presence in this life and for all of eternity. That is called Three Circles. Now, if you are sitting, I think we've done it the past three weeks, might as well do it one more week. If you're sitting on the far left of your of the pews, so that would be uh, over here on this side, you want to pull out, you're on, the, on the far left, there should be a package. It's called Three Circles Life Conversation Guide. You pull one out and you pass it down. Now, we have enough for everyone here today, so we won't run out of these. We have plenty of these. Um, so everybody should have one of these in your hand. In uh, today's message, we're going to turn here a little bit to uh, Romans chapter 1, and where I'm going to share, I'm going to give you a tool that was on a napkin up there of a way to share the gospel with someone who is spiritually lost, who does not know the Lord. And this little guide, we're not going to go through the guide today, but we are going to go through, uh, if you turn to the back page, it talks about that, so I'm going to reference that in a little bit. 
Also, if you have a bulletin insert, you want to pull that out as well. And so you can certainly be followed along as, as well as that picture is on the bulletin insert with that. And certainly, and hopefully you brought your Bible. You always want to bring your Bible to church. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter. We're going to read that in a little bit. We're going to then we'll flip over, if you're able to, to Genesis chapter 6. And you're going to see about the days of Noah. We're going to talk about why we have to have evangelism tools in a way, a knowledge to be able to share the gospel with someone who is not saved. Now, the reason we're doing this is the past four, three, four weeks leading up to Easter, even the whole month of April, we're praying for our one. So hopefully you've turned in your Who's Your One commitment card, who you're praying for. If you, They're back there at the Welcome Center. If you don't, and maybe you've missed the past few Sundays, you can certainly just grab one and come drop in this bin here. You're making a commitment to pray Scripture for someone that does not know Jesus for a month, for 30 days. You're praying for their salvation. You're praying for them to come in a relationship with the Lord. So when the challenge, what happens, you start praying for someone to know Jesus. God's going to put that opportunity for you to share Jesus with them. And that's where this three circles tool comes in. You need to know a way, how can I have confidence and assurance to be able to tell someone about Jesus? And that's what we're going to see here this morning. But before we actually um, get into this and read Romans chapter 1, I want to lead us in a special time of prayer. Some of our fine church members are in Houston right now. Many of us know David and Glenda Huff. Uh, Miss Glenda sings in the choir. Uh, David, a very faithful deacon here, wonderful, uh, wonderful folks. Their son, Stephen Huff, he's uh, 32, 33 years old. He has been diagnosed with the worst type of leukemia you can get. And he is right now scheduled to receive his bone marrow transplant on Tuesday at MD Anderson Hospital. He's married, his wife is April, and they have a they only have one little uh, one little child, a little daughter named Claire. She's only about 8 months old, so she was born in early July of last year. Well, he he, he's just sick. They've been down there for probably five months now, and it, it's just been a struggle. Uh, fine folks from Broadway, and they're, they're fighting for their son's life. So uh, this is a very big procedure. He, they've been taking medicine leading up to the procedure of the past, gosh, month or so, basically getting his immune system ready. He's extremely sick right now. But I want to lead us in a special prayer for Stephen. This bone marrow transplant is very important that it's successful. So let's bow our heads, and we're going to have a special time of prayer for Stephen Huff. Oh, Lord, we come to you as a church body praying for this young man, 32 years old, and he's battling a rare form of cancer. Lord, we pray for the surgeons there at MD Anderson Hospital in Houston on Tuesday. They have been preparing this young man, Stephen Huff, for this bone marrow transplant. God, we pray that it is incredibly successful. Lord, we pray for a healing for this young man. We pray for his wife, April, and their eight-month-old daughter, Claire. We pray for David, for Glenda, as they are there daily taking care of their son who's fighting for his life. Lord, I just know that he's listening to us on the internet right now, and we just pray for their family. We lift up especially Stephen, and pray for the surgery, this transplant on Tuesday at the hospital. 
<clears throat> and if you agree with this prayer, join me in saying, Amen. Amen. We do. We give this young man to the Lord. And that is, I appreciate, uh, appreciate you uh, certainly remembering him in your prayers. Romans chapter 1. Turn in your Bibles. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Now, we're going to read this here. This reminds us of our world, what we're about to read. I, th I don't think there's a place in the Bible that you could read anymore in Romans chapter 1 that will display our culture, not just 2,000 years ago, but also in 2019. Paul wrote the book of Romans. He wrote it from a city called Corinth. Corinth was a very pagan, wicked city. In case you've read the book of First and Second Corinthians, he has all sorts of problems with the church there in Corinth. But he's writing it to the church in Rome. So he's writing the letter. Adrillius saying, you know, these are some of the problems and stuff we see here in Corinth. I'm sure you're dealing with the same old stuff there because if, if sin, what happened in the Garden of Eden, human nature has never changed. In fact, we're going to see that here in the Scripture. So the sins of yesterday are still the sins of today. And we're going to see that here in our Bible. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness, look at this, they suppress the truth. This is why Jesus Christ had to came. The truth is suppressed by the devil. Do you know the devil is a liar? When Eve was there in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says he appeared in the form of a serpent and he asked one question that started leading her down a road that many of us, even today, did God really say? Once a question, once you start going down that road, did God really say what you're doing is you're exchanging the truth of God. God told Adam and Eve, you can eat from any of the trees in the Garden of Eden except from this one tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Remember, there was no death. No one knew what death was at that point. Eve was looking at that fruit and Satan attacked her by questioning. She ate from the fruit and gave it to Adam. And from that point on, their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. Sin had entered into the human race. Now, what we're reading here, Romans 1, and what occurs in 2019, can all be traced back of our culture of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And that one question, did God really say? Once you go down a road of questioning the Lord and thinking, does God want what's best for me? Does God know more than me? Is God better and more knowledgeable than I? Once you start asking those questions, you will have this type of result. It actually suppresses the truth. The truth becomes more and more difficult to find because sin multiplies. Look here in your Bibles. Verse 19, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, 
have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Do you know what these verses just said? These verses just said that no one, <coughs> no one can really say, I don't believe in God. Because creation, life, points to the Creator. And what happens is this creation, it just didn't happen. Things just don't appear from nothing. And what Paul is writing through the Scriptures here, he's saying, because of creation, because of our world, you are without excuse when you don't believe in the Lord. There's no excuse. You're self-condemned. The world in creation condemns you. That's what these verses say here. Verse 21, For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And look at this, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. This is what the road that sin takes you down, the Bible's saying. You've got the glory of God, and for you for living for the Lord. And what sin does is you take something so perfect and holy as the Lord, you exchange it. And look, that, that verse, that word is used. There's an exchange that occurs. You're, tra you're trading the glory of God for, for images, for animals, for reptiles, for mortal man. Why would you trade something holy and perfect for the Lord, that the Lord is, for this? This is the lie. This is what happens when you, you, you make the exchange. I rarely go see movies because they're trash. And I want to tell you, some of you don't need to be watching this garbage out there. When you go and you watch the garbage that Hollywood puts out, you don't have to go to movies. You turn on the TV and you watch this filth. I was watching basketball, and some of the commercials just from yesterday were, were awful. People don't, Christians don't need to be watching that stuff. I went on Monday night and saw a movie. It's called Unplanned. I want to tell you what this movie's about. It's one of the few, few movies you need to go see. It's at Carmike the Air. It's about a young lady named Abby Johnson. Abby Johnson went to Texas A&M, one of our fine SEC schools. She's an Aggie, and she went there, and she went to a job fair at her a school there one day, and there was this one little booth, and everybody was wearing pink, and they were advocating women's rights and advocating how you need to volunteer and sign up. Don't you support and want to help women's rights and equality? And she did. And next thing you knew, she was a young lady who grew up in a church, Christian church, grew up in a pro-life family, and found herself working for Planned Parenthood 15 years ago. Well, she, was, she believed the lie. And she worked through her company. She, she was a good employee. Next thing you knew, she was the clinic director. She ran the whole clinic. But she was the manager for the clinic and everything. But she had bought into this lie that this organization was about women's rights and about really helping other people. 
and serving the community. And the deeper she got into the organization, as each promotion, and she started going off to training seminars, she realized it was a lie. It's not about women's rights at all. It's about abortion. Abortion, they said, pays her salary. Abortion is what, where they get their money from. Abortion is what they want for their services. All these other things are really just a smokescreen for what they're really about. And she was delivered out of that, and she became an advocate. And she ran the clinic there in Bryan, Texas. And eventually that clinic closed down. But she was right there, and she was delivered out of that in 2013. That's what Unplanned is about. It's a powerful story. You need to be about 15, 16 years old before you see it. It's a gr- somewhat gruesome. It's a reality of some of the stuff you see. It opens your eyes. But she talked about it in that movie. She believed the lie. It was packaged so perfect. You're just walking in a career job fair. They're just giving out free presents, prizes, food. Of course you want to support women's rights. Everyone's equal. And then you start going down that road, and you thought, oh, my goodness. And then what happened? How she was delivered out of it. See, she ran the office. Well, one day, because of Hurricane Ike, they were shorthanded, and she had to go back in the, and help one of the doctors, and she witnessed what really occurred. And she had, see, the workers were not allowed back there. Only the nurses and the doctors were. And she witnessed what really was going on. She was delivered out of that. And, and now helps other other folks in that who are who are enslaved by that. That is what this Bible verse talks about. There is there is an exchange that occurs. You exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. Keep going here in your Bible. Now look what happens here. So when people make this exchange, here's what occurs. Therefore, God has delivered them over to the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God, look at this, for a lie. A lie. They believed it. And worshipped and served what had been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. Could you imagine someone taking the glory of God, how we were created to worship the Lord. We were created for God. That's what it means to have a soul. That's what it means that Ecclesiastes says, God has put eternity into your hearts. God has put a desire that every human has to want to to live for the Lord. But what happens is because of sin, they've exchanged this and believed the lie. And next thing you know, they find themselves in, notice, as each verse, as we keep reading, watch how it's like we're going downstairs and it gets more and more depraved. Let's keep going here. Look what happens. So this is what, what happens when people start believing the lie. Verse 16, 26, I'm sorry. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful pa- passion. So God basically just said, hey, do you want to believe this? Fine. You go right ahead. So look what happens, church. I want you all to remember, this was two thousand years ago god could not have put more timely verses in scripture what you're about to read than this right here and this was paul's writing this in corinth and he's looking around at the culture and look what he says their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones 
The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their effort, of, of their error. Do you know of a woman who has exchanged natural relations with a, woman, uh, with a man for unnatural ones with a woman? Do you know any men who has taken natural relations with another female? You know, the first marriage was performed in Genesis 2.24, how it says a man will leave his father and mother and unite with his wife. A man here, according to these verses, takes natural relations with a woman and exchanges them for unnatural ones with another man. The Bible is describing the sin of homosexuality right here. And he says here, this is in error. These are shameless acts. This is speaking, spoken very negatively in Scripture. This is condemned in the Bible. So let's keep going here. Verse 28. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to the corrupt mind so that they did not do what is right. I want to explain what that means. Do you know God will only at some point continue to convict people of sin? At some point, he just stops and says, you know what? Your mind has become so corrupt. There's so much sin. Fine. If you want to do this, just go right at it. It's all you. I'll back off, and you just continue along in your sinful, foolish error. And God pulls back. This is the ultimate sin of a hardened heart, where God just allows them to just die with their corrupt mind. This is what sin, this is why you have to be careful Why you watch stuff on TV and on the internet. Look what happens. Corrupt mind. You watch garbage and you listen to this stuff. What does it do? It has an impact on you. It corrupts your mind. Don't you want a pure mind? Don't you want a mind that honors the Lord? Don't you want a mind that when you see stuff, that's wrong, you think, oh, that's sinful. I want to tell you what a corrupt mind is. A corrupt mind is when you see shameless acts that these verses just described and you laugh at it on TV. Or you think, well, that man was born that way. That woman, that's just how she is. You start thinking that way, according to verse 28, you now have a corrupt mind. You've lost your moral compass, the Bible says. Keep going here in your Bibles, verse 29. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they knew God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. Paul is writing. He's saying this is what happens 
sin leads you down this staircase into this cesspool of moral depravity. He just named 21 sins in these Bibles, in the, in the Scripture, right, in these Bible verses. Do you know my, probably my favorite one of all is on verse 30. It says, inventors of evil. What is an inventor of evil? You could just literally create a new sin. Whatever moral, a morally depraved person can just think up and create new evil deeds. If we don't have enough already, listen, there will be new sins that will come out in 2020 and 2021 that haven't even been thought of right now. The Bible says this is a result of a depraved, lost mind. And what happens here, this is also a curse. This last verse here, we just read in verse 32. They not only do them, but they even applaud. The moral compass is gone. People don't even know what's right and what's left. People don't even know the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. Church, Broadway Baptist Church, these words written 2,000 years ago, but they apply today. We are living in this time in Romans chapter 1. There are people all around us who are living this way and they see nothing wrong with it. They, in fact, people are telling them they're great. They're a hero. They're making a stand. They're being applauded and told how good they are. When the Bible is saying you have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Have you bought the lie? A lost person believes the lie. The lie started with Eve and the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And that's the exchange that was made. Keep your finger here in Romans chapter 1. You know, this isn't the first time this happened. Go back in your Bible to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6. Noah dealt with the same old stuff. You know, nothing gets better in the world. Before the flood, this is why God had to destroy. If you go up to Williamstown and visit the ark, this is the reason that ark had to sell, what we're about to read here. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Look what the, your Bible say here. God sees the wickedness of the world, yet there's one man in his family, his son's named Noah, and he's going to save them. But look what had to create the flood. You know, one of the ways we know Jesus is going to return to soon is that wickedness will increase. There will be inventors of evil. Things won't get better. In fact, they'll get worse. Look at here, 6-5. Genesis 6-5. When the Lord saw that human wickedness, look at this, was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. Look at this, church. Nothing but evil all the time. The human mind, look at that, that corrupt mind we read about in Romans 1. Here it is again, a worthless mind. Everything was corrupt. Everywhere you go, human inclination, meaning there was just a bent towards evil. Nobody knew what was right. You ask somebody a question, they answer with a lie. No one knows what truth is. It's complete immorality. Look what happens. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and was deeply grieved. You, you want to grieve God's heart? Sin grieves the Lord. Sin saddens God. He regretted he made man. He looked at all his creation. And his creation, we know from Romans 1, points to him. 
And no one's praising the Lord. No one's honoring Him. They're living for themselves. Their selfishness is selfish desires. And he's just, he's sad. I can't believe I did this. These people I made do not love me. They do not obey me. They do not live for me. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with all the animals, creatures that crawl and birds of the sky. For I regret that I made them. But look at this. Verse 8. This is our hope. This is the gospel right here. But Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. One man. One man. Who's your one? Who was God's one right here? It was Noah. That was his one. One man found favor with the Lord. God is asking you and I to be that one. He's asking you and I to be Noah. We live in evil days. We live in a Romans 1 culture. And what we do, when we live in this culture of immorality, we have to be the believers that say, I'm going to pray and begin expecting God to do a great movement among all the evilness here. You go to work, it's immorality. People lie, they chill, steal, they cheat. Any opportunity to sin. You go on the computer, they, they, it's, it's a lie. They've exchanged the truth. What should be God-glorifying people exchange the truth for a lie. And what we, we're going to see here from Romans chapter 1 and from Genesis chapter 6, God is going to ask us, to, will we be a part of pushing back the evilness all around. So I want you to pull out your piece of paper. Here's the principles we're going to see. You go out in this world today. You have a Romans 1 world, a Genesis 6 world, and there's lost people all around. But the thing is, Jesus died for these folks. Jesus loved them. God sent his son into this world for people who are morally corrupt. He went to the cross for their sins. And what you and I have to do, it's very tempting for us to say, my goodness, I'm just not going to go out. I'm not going to be friends with these folks. I'm just going to do my own thing at church and at home. But the problem with that is that's not how the Lord wants us to live. Jesus didn't call us to be a hermit. Jesus went around his three-year ministry. He went around Galilee and went around Israel, and he went and told people and proclaimed the kingdom of God. He was active in his sharing his faith and pointing people to his Father. And if he's going to do it, listen, Broadway, we have to do it too. And that's what this tool is here, a way to do that. The average person has 27 face-to-face conversations every day. Now, that's not an internet conversation. It's not a phone conversation. It means a conversation. And conversation is, is more than just thank you for opening doors, where you will actually talk to somebody for maybe a few seconds or a few minutes, and you'll actually talk to them. How do you take your 27 conversations each day that you have, and you make these conversations about Kentucky basketball or Auburn basketball or the weather or about whatever you're talking about? How do you take a conversation about whatever and turn it to the gospel? Because why? Jesus wants folks saved. He wants to see people repent and believe in him. And we live in this morally depraved world. And you shouldn't have very high expectations of our world because the Bible's warned us about it. But we do know the only way out is through the Lord. And God wants to use you and me to tell lost people about His Son. So here's how we do this. When we have a gospel conversation, it should never be argumentative. 
It should never be confrontational. We confront people by just pointing them to Jesus. We're telling people about the Lord. So we have this screen. If you don't mind, sound team, put that up. Put the little uh, thing up on the street. Of our little, uh, th- there it is. Let's walk through this. This is what's in your little pamphlet that you just have on the back page as well as in your bulletin. God's design. This is a way to share the gospel. Instead of throwing up your hands saying, what do I do? Here's what you do. God's plan is that folks are saved, that folks know him, and that people give their life. Because why? In two weeks we celebrate Easter, there's an empty tomb. Jesus came. Why? Die on a cross, have an empty tomb so folks can live. So we don't all go to hell. God's plan is for us to return to the uh, Garden of Eden in perfection with the Lord. Heaven is perfection. There's no sin in heaven. Heaven is a restoration of the Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 Garden of Eden. But what happened? Sin entered the world. It leads us to brokenness. Brokenness means that you're lost, that you do not have the Lord. And what happens, broken people, from what we just read in Romans chapter 1, they just go out and do things they shouldn't be doing. They have a corrupt, morally impure mind. And they end up just just living for their self. And then broken people must repent and believe in Jesus. And then they arrive at the gospel. The gospel speaks. The gospel means good news. It's Jesus. And the gospel saves folks. When someone gets saved, they recover and pursue, meaning all of a sudden they've been restored in a right relationship with the Lord, and they begin to pursue God. They start living for Him. It's a circle. This is a way you can take a napkin and literally, with God's design, brokenness and the gospel share the good news with someone god wants you to take your 27 daily conversations and start making them gospel conversations say well daniel what about inviting them to church i'll answer that question there's two ways to communicate the gospel number one there's what we call the attractional approach the attractional approach is for the most part what we do and I do this all the time. You invite folks to worship. You invite them to Sunday school. You invite them to Easter in two weeks. And if it's Christmas time, you invite them to Christmas. You just invite folks. You invite them to youth group. You invite them to anything going on. And you invite folks to church. And that is wonderful. That makes us beggars. We just beg folks to come to the building. You come to Broadway Baptist Church at 2500 Harrisburg Road, and we will tell you about Jesus. You come to Sunday school, we'll tell you about Jesus. You come to Bible study, we'll tell you about Jesus. You come to children's ministry, we'll tell you about Jesus. You come here, and we'll tell you how to be saved. That is what we call an attractional approach. You're attracting people to the 3.3 acres that we own here on this corner. Prime real estate in our city. It's a blessing that we're here. But here's the reality. We could go knock on every single door, and you could go to work and school, and you tell everybody in the city, come to the building, come to the building, come here and learn about Jesus. But the truth is, there are some people, they might be polite to you, they are not going to come. They're not. They're not going to come. They will not come to the building. They're not going to come to church. They're not coming to Sunday school. So what do we do? Do we just let them go to hell? Do we just say, well, God, I invited them. You know, 
I told them what time service started. I to- told them I'd pick them up. I told them, <coughs> Wayne and Andy, send the church bus and go pick them up. We'll get them here. But they just will not come. So here's what you do. If the traction approach, some folks aren't just going to come to church, then you do the intentional approach. This is where you share the gospel with them. This is where you have to say, God, use me. I've been praying for this person. My friend at school does not know Jesus, and I've invited him for two years, and apparently not going to come. So what do I do? You tell them about the Lord. You quote John 3.16. You tell them that Jesus saves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. They will have eternal life. You tell them the good news that Jesus saves them. And another tool to use is to sit there and say, has anyone ever told you how you can be restored in a right relationship with the Lord? Do you have a way to take someone who's far from God, and if you invite them to church, they're not going to come, to challenge them about their relationship with the Lord? Listen, Jesus, we talked about two weeks ago, what did he do? He went after the lost sheep. He would leave the 99 sheep on the hillside and go find that one. Guys, we need to have that same go-after attitude. If Jesus is going to go do it, we need to go do it. And you need to be equipped and have a tool and have some way that you're going to be able to look for opportunities in your 27 conversations to be intentional about how to take a conversation about basketball and how to turn it to the gospel. I don't tell you your greatest challenge you're going to run into. The greatest challenge you're going to find in sharing the gospel is that to convince people they're broken. Most folks who are happy, who are self-serving, who are just, everything is fine in their life. To convince them that they are sinners is hard. You tell someone that, that life's going great, that they're sinners, they look at you saying, what do you mean I'm a sinner? My world's going wonderful. There's no problem at all. Everything's fine. Family's doing great. Children are great. Job's great. Making plenty of money. It's like, it's this attitude is, I don't need the Lord. That is the greatest challenge. You have to convince a lost person, first of all, that they're lost. Average lost person doesn't even realize they're lost. For all, they, they love America, love our flag, they love the country, and they're going to heaven. They're good people in their mind. Where the Bible's saying, no, they're wicked people. They're morally depraved. They're not living for the Lord. Do you know <clears throat> what happens when you get to know somebody and maybe they're having a challenge in their life, a surgery, they've had a loss, there's been a setback, that is an opportunity for you to engage in their life and to tell, tell them about the Lord. If, if you know of someone, maybe you work with or you go to school with, and they've got a bad diagnosis at the doctor, bells should go off in your mind, oh, I need to tell them about Jesus. I need to take their, their, medical, their medical condition and turn them to the Lord. John Piper described this as don't waste your cancer. You know what that means? Don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your cancer means you meet somebody with cancer, don't let them just go, get healed. 
You take their cancer. You tell them about Jesus and say, yeah, cancer's bad. And, it, and it, it's awful. But Jesus is so much better. And you turn them to the Lord. That is how God allows people to go through tragic things for the purpose for them to be forced to think about Him. Forced to say, I don't want to miss this opportunity. This three circles in your little book, this is a tool for you to use to start telling other folks about Jesus. If it matters to God, God came to seek us out. God came, that's what Easter is all about. He came on the cross so we can have eternal life. And listen, if he cares about you, he cares about all these lost people driving down Harrisburg Road right now. He cares about your family who's not in church. Jesus loves the lost. Do you know, never once did Jesus actually invite someone to a synagogue. Now, he told people he healed. He said, you go to the synagogue and show yourself to the priest and show them that you're clean. But Jesus' ministry wasn't come to the synagogue, come to the synagogue, come to the synagogue on Saturday. His ministry is he went to people and he brought the kingdom of God to them. Church, we want to be a body of believers that we are taking the gospel to our lost world. We're taking the good news of Jesus and saying, you know, you're broken right now. You've departed from God's design. But with Jesus in the gospel, you can be saved. Are you willing to do this? Do you want to make a commitment and a pledge to personal evangelism? When is the last time you told someone about Jesus? When you go through a drive through are you handing a gospel tract to the person who hands you your food? When you go eat at a restaurant, when you leave your 20% tip, that's a good tip. Do you know if you leave a gospel track with that, they'll read it. Leave, leave an invite to church. Do something. Take any opportunity and make it a gospel opportunity. Listen, Jesus is pursuing the lost, and we need to join in what he's doing. We can't have this attitude, well, you know, this world's lost and it's out of control and I'm just waiting for him to come home and take me to heaven. Yes, we all want to go to heaven. Amen. But in the meantime, we should be working for the Lord. We should be winning the lost. We should be soul winners. Paul was a soul winner to the Romans. He's writing a letter pleading to them in Romans chapter 1 to turn to the Lord. He's saying, this is what a depraved world looks like. But hey, there's great news. Jesus came for you. The commitment today, and part of your who's your one, is you've been praying for your lost person. Now, God might want you to share his son with that lost person. And you start praying, God, put that, turn that conversation from whatever we're talking about, turn it to the Lord. This morning, will you commit to say, I'm going to begin getting serious about sharing the gospel. I'm going to start making a pledge to start taking useless, pointless conversations, encounters I have with people as I go about my day, and pointing them to Jesus. I'm going to invite everybody to stand up.
And we're going to have our invitation, but I'm going to read a Bible verse before we have our invitation here. And this Bible verse here illustrates what we need to do. Psalm 119, 107 says, Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Let me say that again. Revive me, O Lord. David's asking for a revival. Who's he asking for a revival for? Me. How does a revival come? From the Lord by his word. God is asking you, Broadway Baptist, that you are revived for the Lord by his word. You get revived, you get born again, you get a new spirit of excitement, you go out among our city and say, I'm here as a bold witness to folks who are in need of a Savior. This Easter, every one of us should be praying this prayer. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. We're going to have our invitation. And this invitation is for you to respond. You respond to the Lord. He puts revival in our hearts.